0: next guests are very interesting people who would be delighted to answer your questions and we're moving away from technology and biomarkers to um very practical things now because this next session has been given the title the essentials lighting drinking and good care and um this is for the next 30 minutes but before we do that just a reminder please donate what you can we've fixed our donations page. It works now. Donations are coming in. If you go to chatathon.uk forward slash donate or go to the chatathon website, um, there's a link at the top of the page there. Um, It's the Charities Trust website. I know it's not especially nice to navigate like just giving is. But what it does allow you to do is to divide out the money across multiple charities rather than just one, which is what we're doing today. So we have Race Against Dementia, the Lewy Body Society, Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Uh, Race Against Dementia do brilliant work in funding um, research fellows that have this. This is a charity started by Sir Jackie Stewart that tries to learn from Formula One and and take those rapid applications of technologies and really uh, invest in people and Strongly investing people like like we do, athletes and other people that in these researchers, not just to fund their work, but also in those individuals to give them the best skills, training, and and preparation they need to do um, to do their work. So they're a, a really amazing, clever, innovative charity that have lots of brilliant ideas. and And twenty five percent of everything you donate today will go to Race Against Dementia, and. I'll talk more about the other charities afterwards, but I'm not gonna keep my guests waiting. I'm joined this session for uh, The Essentials Lighting Good Care. I'm gonna turn on my graphic. I've got graphics, not that you guys can see them, but I'm gonna turn it on. There we go. I'm joined by the brilliant Elise Parkinson, who's joining me as a PhD student at the University of East Anglia. Dr. Terry Quinn, who you, if you joined us on the chat on two years ago, you'll know the same thing. Also, um, I want to say winner, of the, uh, no, no, runner up <laughs> of the No-It-Alls challenge from last year, um, uh, who is a reader and consultant in old age medicine at the University of Glasgow and is a jobbing clinician uh, in Glasgow as well. And uh, Kate Turley, who's a computer scientist and PhD student in digital health for dementia at Ulster University. Hi, Kate. Hello, sorry. You? Kate, I'm not that I want to put you on the spot, but is this your kind of first academic type thing where you're talking about your work So i know have you just started your phd
1: i have just started yeah i've done a few conferences but they were sort of in the same format they were supposed to be in the usa actually but they were just virtual over zoom so i have had some experience but not as a sort of panel discussion this is my first one
0: well, I hope it's it's fun.
1: I'll try to make it easy. <laughs> scary. Uh, if my camera
0: suddenly goes off, um, do just keep talking. It's because I'm probably eating a sandwich. Um, I'm, gonna come to, I'm gonna come to you first, Kit, actually. Let's stick with you. Why don't you, uh, I've given you an introduction, so I'm gonna ask you to tell us all about your work.
1: Yeah, no problem at all. So I'm uh, I'm working in a light and design company at the moment in Belfast, and then that sort of stemmed into that part-time PhD that I'm working on as well. And um, but we're working on designing um, a lighting and sensing solution that's uh, designed to support the circadian rhythm of individuals with dementia in order to then improve their well-being. So the reason that we use light for this is because light is the primary exciter or sort of stimulant uh, for exciting the circadian rhythm and the circadian rhythm, it's also known as sort of your body clock and your 24 hour body clock, which controls processes such as your rest activity patterns, your, uh, hormone balance. So whether you're feeling lethargic or more alert and your mood as well, and then your sleep wake cycles. So for people with dementia in particular, their circadian rhythms are more out of sync. um, And this is actually heightened further if they experience common symptoms such as evening agitation or uh, sundowning. So if we bring sort of circadian lighting that's designed to sort of support your circadian rhythm and improve your well-being into indoor environments for people with dementia, the sort of overall um, objective is to be able to improve their well-being through the use of this lighting. So uh, essentially, by bringing this light into the indoors, we sort of have a secondary um, objective to monitor what that response to the lighting is. And there's two main reasons for this. So the first one is that every individual's response to lighting is different because every individual's circadian rhythm is slightly different. And this depends on uh, demographic factors such as your age, your gender, your chronotype or previous lighting exposures. And also for dementia, your dementia type so it differs if you have alzheimer's frontotemporal, um vascular for example and then also with your state of progression of dementia so whether you're at a mild moderate or severe stage and this is what we don't fully understand at the moment you know we know that circadian lighting which is essentially like um daylight as well so uh, it mimics the sort of daylight cycle and changes in color and intensity throughout the day we know that this sort of lighting is good for supporting your circadian rhythm and therefore your well-being but we don't understand you know how this response differs depending on factors such as your um your demographic profile for instance and then how your activity and your well-being um, through this will then change so this is sort of why we need that sense and solution in order to get the feedback and understand the health metrics to better the lighting on an individual basis and secondly then the, if we have this sensing solution um, we can also make these metrics accessible so for example depending on um where you are with your uh, dementia diagnosis for example if you're in your own living environment or if you're in a care facility if an informal or a formal caregiver has access to these metrics they can see for example your location your sleep wake, and your sleep quality for the night before for example which will then help them when supporting you and and um, delivering their care as well so that's sort of the whole objective of, of how we're bringing the okay, circadian Lighting in and how that will then in turn give us information on your, on your well-being.
0: That's fascinating. And it, it kind of highlights something that I think so many people, and I, I think that's why this session is so great, that people overlook. I mean, you know, when you think about lighting, I mean, I think people are just thinking about, oh, you know, is it bright enough that you don't fall over? Um, yeah. Can I can I still read, or can I even afford to turn the lights on right now, which is obviously <laughs> a, an, an issue as well? So um, I, I guess I, I mean I'd read a lot more about, particularly this time of year when we start to talk about seasonal defect, uh, affective disorder and Absolutely. the different frequency of, of lights. So how practically do you apply this? Is this is this a case of asking? Asking people to sit in front of a light for 20 minutes a day like they do with the seasonal issue, or is this actually changing, changing the lights in the building that can then contribute without, you know, to do it more subliminally than, than deliberately saying you're receiving light therapy?
1: yeah absolutely we're the intention is for this to be completely ambient and environmental so it's not just for you know sort of 20 minute stint which i'm sure you know there are studies that that can still improve your well-being over certain small periods of time or your alertness for example depending on as you said the frequency of light so for example um for vision the visual purposes you mentioned before there's more of a um more of a response to sort of yellowy wavelength colors. Um, whereas for your circadian rhythm, um, it's more of a blue wavelength light like that you're the it's the uh, melanopsin protein, which is the light sensitive protein in your eye that responds more to a blue wavelength. And so you get a larger response to your circadian rhythm with that type of lighting. So over time, you know, as we can see that the sad disorder, you know, that's mainly in winter when there's less uh, daylight available. So you can see that this is sort of an annual thing. It's not just a day by day basis. You know, your impact of lighting affects you every single day. So for this study, we're sort of initially pilot, piloting it for uh, a 16 week period. And this will be in every room that um, an individual of dementia or an individual with dementia will um, frequent. So whether that be their um, bedroom, their common areas, it will be everywhere. And then at the end of the study, sort of see how that combined total light effect has implemented their well-being compared to the initial, you know, what would have been the static lighting in place. Um, at the I,
0: beginning of the study, that's crazy. I mean, if we learn that this can make a genuine difference to inform sleep patterns, which we know that there's this increasing body of evidence about the importance of sleep, which we talked about at the start of the day. I mean, it'll because you can't help but think. I, I slightly groan, don't I? That that how many people watching have had an elderly relative or their mum or dad, and the first thing that they've done when they've had a fall is to take the lampshades off and put big bright fluorescent lights into into rooms to make them brighter without any consideration about whether it's the right kind of light or the impact that that can have in sleep if we learn from this that by fundamentally changing the lighting around the house think because we there's so much work going on into reducing agitation to people not wanting to you know changing sleep habits can cause such massive disruption and have that you know we're going to talk about lost lost moments and uh time later today as well if that can be fixed through lighting wouldn't that be amazing that we can put this uh, as some guidance I mean whether we take it up or not but
1: absolutely that- I think what's important about what you just said there as well is that you know change into those bright fluorescent lights again that's sort of your your target and what you can you can visually see you're targeting your conscious decisions there. it's okay, I need this and I need that, but you you don't think about targeting your subconscious and what actually, yeah. you know, controls the circadian rhythm. So that's not something that's obvious that you would need to think about, you know.
0: I feel like when, when this is playing back on YouTube, this is right now, when you're watching is when a, an advert for Phillips hue bulbs is about to appear on the <laughs> screen in this targeted kind of subliminal way that we didn't ask for. Thank you, Kate. I'm going to come back to you because I'm going to go to Elise now because equally as practical, we know that not only, uh, can people's sleep disruption be affected, but also their Lack of drinking can have a dire consequences, and that's what your work's all about.
2: It is, yes. So, thank you for having me. So, um Kate
0: just mentioned there about. Yes, Kate, did Kate just grab a water bottle then? Because we deliberately. <laughs>
2: it's look nice, the whole, I do do you know what, every time I see you?
0: Every time I see you, I'm paranoid that I'm not drinking enough. <laughs>
2: I watched You can't help when you work in it every day. You can't help but watch those things. Then, but yeah, there's the mirroring and it works. And it, 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 with people living with dementia, just some mirroring, it works to kind of pick up a drink. It's that like social experience of drinking. Um, so yeah, I think Kate mentioned there about kind of um, the things that we don't necessarily think of. So as we age, we lose the thirst sensation. It's not as effective. So, and then kind of put your shoes, yourself in the shoes of someone who maybe forgets to drink, maybe doesn't recognise a drink. And um, Chris um, gave a fantastic insight to this at the, this morning about taking the cupboard doors, um, the doors of the kitchen cupboards so he could make a coffee easier, so he could see. So and then he's not forgetting what he was then doing in that moment. It's all of these things which are affected when someone has cognitive impairment. And so it's not as easy as to think, I'm thirsty, I'm going to go make myself a drink. So it's, it's kind of thinking of that wider picture of what's going on and how we can support someone best.
0: So we talked before about strategy. So, to, Well, tell us, I mean, for, for people who aren't persuaded, what what happens when people living with dementia don't drink enough? Uh, I'm, I wasn't going to say water. I don't mean, just don't drink enough. What are the consequences yeah. of of
2: So if we take a step back. Our systematic review has just, um, we estimated from a systematic review that about a third of older people, so people over the age of 65, are dehydrated. That's in the general global population of of the included studies that we had within a systematic review. So if you're looking at that as a basis a third of one in three older people are dehydrated, that's really quite high. Then factor in mobility problems, um, strength, grip, being able to reach a drink, being able to factor in, does anyone know actually how much we're supposed to be drinking? You mentioned water there. Does that equate to our six to eight cups? Is it six to eight cups? How much are we supposed to be drinking? Then factoring the cognitive impairment, like the things I've just mentioned, swallowing difficulties, communication difficulties. So people live with dementia at higher risk of um, becoming dehydrated because they're not drinking enough. The, um, associations with dehydration so low intake dehydration is which i'm talking about from not drinking enough um are things like falls utis infections pneumonia cancer renal impairment diabetes um cognitive impairment hospitalization um and if people are admitted to dehydrated to hospital which which can be quite common, they are, are more at risk of dying in hospital. So the consequences of dehydration are so vast and, and so um, prevalent and severe that it really should be at the forefront of our thinking with any, with any older person, but, as, but particularly if someone has more risk factors, it really is about supporting someone to drink and making drinking fun. It, what we find is that people take more of a reactive approach to drinking. So it's kind of when it becomes difficult, how do we now get someone to take some fluids? Like how can we get someone to take 30 mils or 50 mils? And there's this focus on kind of quite a... Uh, so focusing
0: in like, on the volume. Yeah. Like how much yeah, is there... Yeah, just and... like
2: this c- quite clinical situation of drinking, whereas let's have a proactive approach. When we approach kind of middle age, late life, thinking about, women should be drinking 1.6 liters of drinks, men should be drinking two liters of drinks plus 20% from our foods. We don't know that as a society, that information isn't well known. So it's knowing that, knowing what, what is in this cup, how much is in there, which is going to go towards my fluid, and having this proactive approach to drinking.
0: So your your research then looks a- across the board at that. So not only kind of exploring the consequence of not drinking, but then also about I'm guessing about how you practically have strategies that encourage people to drink sufficient amounts whether Absolutely. they're at home or in a care home or in a hospital maybe as an impact yes yeah,
2: so i haven't focused originally i was going to focus on hospital settings we are doing a systematic review of hospital settings it's, it's just quite a different population so we have separated those out but you're right so um Clinical signs and symptoms, like your typical clinical signs and symptoms of dehydration, urine colour, skin turgor, sunken eyes, pinching the skin, do not work in older people. It's a real misconception that that works for um, people. It doesn't work for older people. Great in other populations, maybe, not for older people. So the easiest way to improve dehydration, prevent dehydration, is drinking, which is why I, I focus on both of them. So in older people, we need to get people to be drinking to prevent dehydration, to prevent the serious ill health that comes with
0: that. And um, I'm gonna come to you in a second, Terry. One last question. So for anybody who's watching, I guess, who is a carer and they, um, they you know, a common, I, I've read, I've been visiting the Facebook dementia groups this last week, because this is where we're hoping that, you know, people living with dementia carers affected by it would come and watch today what advice would you give to somebody because a common thing that comes up there is is, oh my my mum stopped eating or my mum stopped drinking how do I get them to drink and there's lots of comments from people but what tell me as the researcher what what advice would you give to those people
2: I think it's always a multi-pronged approach offer a variety of drinks Um, I think this came up earlier about taste changes in dementia, um, as the disease progresses. So there tends to be more of a preference for sweeter things, um, offer things that maybe someone didn't like before, which they may like now. So offering a variety of drinks, making it a sociable experience. So COVID really impacted that when people weren't allowed to drink together, um, to make it sociable.
0: You mentioned before as well, drinking in front of the person, just like you having a drink.
2: Yeah making it fun, make it part of an activity, Ice lollies, using foods to it. So um, during the heatwaves this year, there were some great initiatives like mocktail bars and afternoon teas and things that make it a really fun experience. Um, As well as all the other things, just keep trying, just keep trying, leave drinks if someone is able to drink themselves, leave drinks within reach, maybe don't fill a cup too much you can get some great different um drinking vessels say beakers or using a stall what works for that individual there's lots out there now
0: going into the social settings that's brilliant advice Elise and terry because what i love about i mean i've talked terry i've met terry before several times and terry is does amazing work both clinically but then i'm always amazed you have time for all these extra things you do as well whether that's on brain health or in the research network or with cochrane and and i know cochrane yeah you know, you're amazing at taking the things that kate and elise are doing and then helping spread that right i mean turning that into real stuff well tell us about your work and I, i'm particularly interested well you do so much. Tell us all about it.
3: All of it. Everything. <laughs> Tell us everything. Anyone go? Damn. So on my on my CV it says Terry has a broad research portfolio. But what <laughs> what that actually means is I can't focus on one thing. You know I just jump from topic to topic. Um, but you know what 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 I'm interested in are the things that affect older people. So I'm interested in dementia. I'm interested in brain health. I'm interested in delirium and I'm interested in frailty and I'm interested in stroke but I thought rather than talk about the research that I do I wanted to talk about the work that I do around bringing together other people's research so Adam you, you you mentioned Cochrane I'm involved with a number of bodies that take the really great research that's out there around dementia and try and bring it together and make sense of it as a whole and there are lots of different techniques that we've developed doing that and we can do that to produce reviews on topics Elise mentioned that she'd been working on reviews looking at looking at at water and hydration and we can take that one step further again and increasingly recently I've been doing a lot of work with guideline producers so working with NICE and with SIGN to take you know that, that that great dementia research that we're producing in the UK that charities are funding and moving it from the pages of a journal into something that's in a guideline and once it's in a guideline that's when it starts making a change on on how we practice clinically
0: and and Cochrane's worldwide right I mean this isn't just a UK thing this is in Australia it's a it's elsewhere in the world so research that happens here can inform uh,
3: globally yeah 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 I have some sad news for you unfortunately Cochrane dementia isn't going to continue past 2023 but evidence synthesis is, is going to continue so the the Cochrane model is going to change a little bit but we will still absolutely be taking research taking evidence pulling it together and then creating summaries creating summaries for researchers but also creating summaries for people in government and creating summaries for people that are living with conditions as well
0: and, and, and there are other I mean, I should put a plug in for things like because I um, recently was on the group for the continents themed working group for NIHR evidence. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're a little bit uh, specific as they kind of look at the NIHR funded research, don't they specifically, yeah. rather than something that might have been funded elsewhere. But, it, you know, equally, it's bringing together these. So Cochran- scan the horizon find the relevant evidence and then bring that into one place and that's to who is that guidance then aimed at is this a you know your man woman on the street is this is this for healthcare professionals or or for who's it for
3: all all of them and more i think one of the things that we did really well in cochrane was getting the message out to lots of different to use the jargon stakeholders sure that the main product would be a Cochrane review that would generally be read by academics and clinicians but we would also produce lay summaries um, and we spent a lot of time making sure that lay summaries were properly accessible to people that aren't coming from that academic or clinical background and we also make white papers and we make policy documents um, for you know civil servants that are working in an area and don't have the time to to work through the 50 or 60 pages of a full Cochrane review. Um, so we, we make bite-sized summaries for them too. And although although Cochrane dementia as an entity isn't going to continue past um next year, all of that activity is 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 going to continue.
0: And this is where I think we I touched on this earlier today about uh, about the push to kind of do more with research findings and implementation that's why i'm really pleased to do this event today because while some of the research we're talking about today hasn't yet published it isn't doing of course if we just wait until research is published into journals that everyday people don't read it doesn't have the impact i think it's important to give people an opportunity to talk about their work while it's ongoing so that we can learn from it earlier and benefit from that but also put it into some use and i think I think there's probably more. Do you, or would you agree that there's more? Maybe Cochrane could be good at this in providing more guidance for researchers about how to how to use their research findings, how to either package that up at the end so you can give it to somebody who might fund it or commission it or, or throughout the study to say, well, you know, there's different things you can do. You can publish reports. And I think often what I've seen is, is that any communications about the progress of a report, there's been guidance for a while, so you must give that back to research participants. Mm. So, you know, giving feedback to the people in the trial, but it can really help people who aren't in the trial as well. I mean, Kate and Elise, I think your work is fascinating and has such potential benefit. It'd be such a shame if we have to wait for your PhD and then find time for you to write that up and get that out there before people going to really learn from that. This needs, people need to know that now. And so, Terry, it's a shame about Cochrane, but I uh, maybe you could go back get me let's get cock around the table let's go up with new ways to to better share to do more public events I think any researchers that are out there just I'm doing this today but I'm not special you could do this you, anybody can go on YouTube live literally and talk about your work you don't need to you know it's not a case of being big-headed you I'm, I'm ranting now but I, literally anybody can do this you can create an account on YouTube you live stream yourself you give it the right name so that people can find it when they search for it. You post it in some dementia groups. And as long as this is, you know, we don't want pseudoscience people to, to do this. It's got to be, but this is a way of getting your research out there. Please do be inspired by this. And if anybody needs help or guidance on how to do that, come see me. Talk to me. I'll share. Um Elise, what's next for your work? Obviously um, implementation, not that I've just told you what you've got to do. What's going on next with your well, work, well, you
2: mentioned is really important. So I um, actually... Well, you do
0: it, don't you? I've, seen you? I've seen your picture on Twitter. You stand in the hospital reception with booklets and water bottles telling people to drink. You live it. I, I mean, you really do do it
2: try to say so if it's like giving free care home training or kind of having those conversations throughout I, I really do try to kind of spread that message so I can like, and research network works and patient and public involvement groups who have helped to input in my study and, and phd project i very much try to then have that open dialogue and make sure that they will be the first ones to then here when there are findings um but yeah so i now um started the drink study which is in an indexed, um case study and ethnographic observations as well as unstructured interviews Um it's a six-month project in a care home a single care home and it's just observing just observing drinking literally taking a step back with minimal assumptions and just seeing what is going on there have been no kind of sustainable long-term um, improvements in fluid intake for people living with dementia in care homes so far, unfortunately, so we're just, yeah, seeing over 24 hour clock for six months and just seeing what's going on and all social actors within the care home are eligible participants and very much wanting to involve people with dementia who do or may or may not have capacity to provide informed consent. Uh,
0: and that that's how all these successful service improvement programmes work. I mean, I worked uh, you know, back in the day, I worked on MRSA and hospital associated infections. And the first step is always to go to those good hospitals, go to the bad hospitals, stand in a corner and watch what's going on. Um, make those kind of observations, doing those hand hygiene audits and looking at the notes to see if your VIP scores have been done for the, you know, uh, catheters being looked at, but not intervene, you know, not intervening. Let's That can mm-hmm. come later. Thank you. Thank you, Elise. Kate, what, what's coming next for you?
1: Next for me. So uh, the design work that we've done in in creating that circadian lighting solution, we've essentially finished that now. So we've got our hardware, we've created the software in order to get those health related metrics back. So in the new year, we've we've undergone our whole ethical process. We've got approval. So we'll be heading into a care home and actually setting up that whole solution to get our our data back.
0: That's really exciting. Go on. I'll let you mention what's the name of the company again?
1: Uh, Chroma Lighting. (laughs) From, there. <laughs> Chroma lighting
0: you can yeah. and there's a link on the web page if you're interested in that but it's it's great that care homes are willing also kind of coming forward and participating in research to kind of really make things better which we know opening their doors up to researchers and potential scrutiny is always something that's a barrier to overcome so well done and thank you very much Kate Elise. Um, uh, Kate Turley, Elise Parkinson and Dr. Terry Quinn. Thank you very much for your last half an hour. That was fascinating. That was really, really good. I'm I'd quite like to get you all back on the podcast, but we'll we'll make this a recording available. Thank you, everybody.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks Adam. Thank you very
0: much. Okay. Coming up on the next half hour, 2 30 to 3 30, we have the great outdoors. So we've moved from staying inside and under under electric lights and being sure you drink. To what I'm sure is probably the best alternative to clever lighting is to be outside under God's canvas. Is that right? Do you agree, Steve? Is that is that where everybody should be is outside? Um, before we move on. So in our next session, in all seriousness, 2.30 to 3 o'clock mm-hmm. is the great outdoors, the benefits of nature and tech help. Uh, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Esme Wood, Dr. Stephen Price and Dr. Stephen Owen. Uh, Steve and um, Stefan are both from Exeter and um esme is at the university of gloucestershire um but before we do that i'm going to remind everybody i'm going to turn on my thing come on everybody uh it's donation time so there you go there's a banner at the bottom of the screen to remind you to do this that today uh, not only are we talking about research but we're also raising money for four brilliant charities the Louis body society is a small charity that really punch, as we've heard, I hate to say this, I don't want them to say they punch well above their weight. They do an amazing job. They're a small charity. They do brilliant work, not just on funding research, but also on awareness campaigns and to support people living with Lewy body dementia. They do these crazy, amazing things as well, like knitting and and, and producing brilliant calendars. They have such a committed, enthusiastic group of supporters. And all you know, all their money doesn't go on advertising or promotion or lots of other things or on, into the pockets of of big wigs. It really does go into to funding, genuine things that will help. So please do uh, consider making a donation today. Twenty five percent of what you give will go to the Lewy Body Society and um, coming up at half past four today, we're going to be joined by all four of the charities to who will tell us a little bit more about their work you can donate at chatathon.uk forward slash donate or go to the chatathon.uk website uh there'll be you can see that on the screen now before i come to my current guest i'm going to play you a quick film so that i can um leave the room for a second and this film now I'm trying to find a long one. All oh, my films, why did I ask the charities to send me 30 seconds to one minute films? I really need about two minutes, not a minute enough for the things I need to do. But um, we're gonna play a short film now from Alzheimer's Research UK, and um,
2: we'll be back in a minute. I met my husband when I was 19 in India. To cut a long story short, I fell in love with him pretty much straight away. There's a lot of evidence, but I didn't really pick it up. first one I remember really clearly is when shopping, and I said, can you pass, pass me a pack of crisps? And he struggled that way, and he goes, what's crisps? And then his behavior got a bit more uh, dramatic. You know, he became more paranoid, and he kind of started changing. So I took him to doctors, and then they diagnosed at UCL, and said, okay, he's got FTD, which stands for frontotemporal dementia. Your personality goes, your judgment goes. It's almost scandalous that we've known this condition for over 100 years, and yet we have no answers to that. We can't really find a cure for these masses with our research, and I think that is so critical.
0: Race Against Dementia supports early career scientists in their research around the world. Our scientists are supported by the RAD Leadership and Development Programme.
1: Race Against Dementia is going about it the right way, Invested in new talent. I think there's a lot that we could learn. Being hungry for change is the way to go.
2: Let's beat dementia together.